Hey guys, this is the season finale for A Table at the Back. We've done 10 full episodes and I can't quite believe it. Thank you everyone for your support and encouragement and listens. We'll be popping back in a few weeks with some more chats and interviews and let's be honest, some tangents and some laughs too. Don't worry about that. This is a special one today to finish off our first ever season. We're talking to my friend Amy Williamson from Damn Right. Amy focuses on personality-driven e-commerce copy and she's a wildly talented writer, strategist and funny human being. She gets her rocks off on consumer psychology and neuromarketing and she's got one of the best damn websites I've seen in a while. But we'll unpack my fangirling a little later. For now, let's get stuck in. Hi guys, how are we? Hi. <laughs> We've got Amy here today, well, well, which people will know because I've done the intro. <laughs> what have you been up to this week, Amy? Um, I had my photo shoot with Sophie from Sister Scout Studio yesterday. That was fun. She's oh, awesome. That's so cool. She's lovely. I love Sophie. She's the best. She is the best. I just want to hang like that's it didn't feel like a photo shoot. It just felt like hanging out and chatting for a couple of hours. Yes, that's exactly it. That's exactly yeah. it. Was it like a full a full photo shoot or just headshots? A uh, full photo shoot. So it was oh. like a two hour. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I can't wait yeah. to see those photos. That's so me exciting. <laughs> she messaged me today and she said, do you mind if there's like a few um, where you're pulling a funny face? And I was like, it's fine. <laughs> I'm oh. expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and apart from that, I've just been working on started like a big client project last week and just getting through all of that. So yeah. What kind of project? Um, so it's for a hair mask company that's oh. launching. Yeah. So I've done the website copy and now working through the emails. Oh, wow. Sorry. <laughs> and this is from somebody who you like is really not, <laughs> not um, a beauty product person. What's a hair mask? I'm assuming it's for hair. Like what? what's a hair mask? <laughs> I don't know. This kind of came up in the research phase that it was like, oh, hang on. People don't know what a hair mask is. Whereas I'm like, I just, I assume that everyone knows. This is why research is important. Yes. Um, It's kind of, I guess it's kind of like, I'm going to butcher this and I shouldn't, but it's kind of like a face mask, but for your hair. Like you just put one on usually like once a week, leave it in for like 10, 15 minutes and it like hydrates or repairs or um, protects it from damage and all that. Good stuff. Oh, okay. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Okay, that's probably something I should know about. Yeah, I'm thinking about how I need one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I'm thinking right at this point. Oh, fun. What about you, Franca? Um, what have I been up to? <laughs> Washing dishes. <laughs> Haven't we all? <laughs> yes, but I've been washing extra dishes because <laughs> we have a cafe. <laughs> I've been washing oh, yeah. dishes at home, oh, yeah. washing dishes at the cafe, which is um, which is good. Look, there's dishes to wash, right? So it's a good problem to have. Um, but yeah, that's been really good. We also um, this week had the council come in because we opened with just coffee because we didn't get like we couldn't get a food license because the council was like, you don't have the right coving. And we're like, what the hell is coving? No, um, <laughs> kind of. That's that's almost not a lie. Um, so yeah, so they came back this week and they have now given us the ticks, which means we can do food, which is very exciting because that's kind of the next step of um, this cafe journey. But apart from that, also been crafting launch strategy and just um trying to juggle my children and like be a present parent amongst all this chaos. So. I'm sure you're doing a great job. Oh, thanks. I get to see oh. you having fun. Yeah. Look, I think it's one of those things, you know, when you see those, I, I don't know if you saw it, there was a, a video going around not long ago. I don't know if it was an ad or just a video. It was on Facebook and it was like this mum who's like struggling and she's like, she thinks that, she's like not there for her children and stuff. And then they interviewed the kids and the kids were like, Oh, she's the best. She's amazing. Like, Have you seen that? Oh, it was like, let me tell you, I cried and cried and cried yeah. <laughs> watching that. So I'm like, just channel that, just channel that. 
Oh, I would definitely cry watching that. Yeah, yeah, it was. It's good. I'll dig it. I'll dig it out. I'll try and dig it up and um, yeah, share it with you guys. But yeah, that's about it on my end. What about you, Laura? Um, well, I had five days away um, back on the Gold Coast with my family, so oh. I was feeling a bit rejuvenated, you know, with that free babysitting with my parents, <laughs> um, and got to catch up with family and friends and stuff. Um, I fit in a little bit of like actual reading of a physical book, but not as much as I. I would like, um, cause I worked while I was up there as well. Again, taking advantage of that free childcare. Um, yeah. but like, I feel, I just needed that little break. I feel a lot more productive this week. Like I, I got through a lot of, um, client work and even just like planning out stuff for the next few months. Um, so yeah, that's basically what I've been up to. God, was the weather nice? The weather was beautiful. Like, I was in a t-shirt and I was like, what is this? Oh, wow. <laughs> Amy and I are like, it's the most freezing week oh. in Melbourne oh, ever. <laughs> yeah. It's just relentless. Like, yeah. yeah. Coming yeah. back to Tassie, it was a rude shock. Like this morning I went for a walk <laughs> for sunrise and I was in like three layers, one of which was one of those down jackets. And I'm just like, this is so weird. It's the same country, but <laughs> so different. Let's get to the topic of the episode today, which is the wonderful Amy and her specialty, which is personality-driven e-commerce copy. Did I say that right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I can't that's me. The new rebrand. Um, <laughs> but I think it'd be cool to talk about how you you fit into like an e-commerce business to help them grow and um you know, we'll talk about your rebrand as well and how you've really positioned yourself to um, serve that market as well. Um, and then we'll chime in, of course, with you know, our opinions about how it fits into that, uh, where we can. Well, Brank has got a lot more experience in that than I do running an actual physical product business as well. Yeah, um, I'm keen to like hear all of that. <laughs> Please like chime in and all of the opinions and like, I think, yeah, like customer experience is going to play, like does play a huge role in e-commerce. So I'm, I like, I'm looking at this podcast as a way to pick both of your brains. <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> like, oh. Exactly what we do here every week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those brains. <laughs> yeah. Um, but to start with Amy, if you want to tell us how you got into copywriting and what led you to this particular niche. Yeah. Um, so I started out make, with a maker business. I was making polymer clay earrings back in, I'm going to say 2014 maybe, um, on maternity leave. And I very quickly discovered that I hated making the earrings. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It really was a problem, but I loved, like the thing I loved about it was the marketing, was writing product descriptions, coming up with product names. Um, and a little bit of the social media marketing. So yeah, I kind of discovered copywriting that way. I actually started off working more with like creatives and service-based businesses, but I, what draws me to e-commerce is more, um, the results that you can get from it and like the actual measurable, um, like the metrics that, um, yeah, that you can get from it. And I like that there's room to kind of marry like the conversion side of things with a little bit of creativity. So it's neither like I find that conversion copy can be quite uncreative. And then I find that creative copy can be a little too woo woo up in the air for me. So I'm kind of like, this is my happy middle ground. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I, I totally get that. <laughs> yeah. And I listen to that and I hear, you know, and I think we talked about it before, like why I originally, started an e-commerce store which is like exactly what you just said all of that stuff like being able to implement all of that conversion stuff in a space where you get results quite quick yeah exactly and it's like getting instant feedback it's wonderful yeah i get that yeah that's that's super cool so so you like just recently underwent a rebrand to sort of highlight that niche is that right yes so only it launched last week, the rebrand. Um, it was a couple of months in the making. It's so beautiful. I love it. <laughs> That's been the feedback and it's so good to hear. So 
Like I keep just passing it on to Laura, who was the graphic designer. No. (laughs) God, no. I'm like, Laura, you've got new skills. Not a designer at all. (laughs) Yeah. If you get any um, design inquiries out of this, I'm so sorry. (laughs) We'll link to, we'll link to Laura, of course. Yeah. She just did an amazing job. And so like with all the feedback, I'm like, like, cool. I'll take the praise to a certain point, but I also have to pass it on because it like as much as um, obviously the initial concept and like the ideas around it, I went to her with those. She really took it and turned it into something cohesive and beautiful. And if I DIY'd it, it would not have been that way. <laughs> and yeah, just hiring her was one of the best decisions I've made. That's awesome. So did you DIY your original? Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Did yeah. you? I didn't know yeah. that. Your original brand was great. Like yeah. this one's way better though. <laughs> I just felt like I'd outgrown it as well. Um, yeah, like it was enough. very, it was very in your face. It was very bright, a lot of black and white. And I was just like, I just want something a little more. Um, I don't know if subtle's the right word. Cause that's not quite it's there. It's sophisticated. Ooh. Fancy. Mature. It's so like, it's very layered as well. Mm, so I yes. feel like it's got, um, substance yeah like nuances yeah it's really I don't know you could do a lot with it because there are so many layers yeah um yeah I just think the imagery and the colors and you know everything about it I'm such a fan so with the e-commerce business side of things um and how you've um, chosen to focus on that niche when you say that you like that you get um direct metrics and you know you can show the value of your work as well because you've got those numbers in your face kind of thing yeah Um, is it a focus on getting new customers or is it like talking about a broader customer customer experience um retaining old ones as well yes absolutely so glad you brought that up (laughs) um so I think there is like a huge focus in the e-commerce world on growth and acquiring new customers but I'm like, I personally am big on looking at the whole experience and customer loyalty, purchase frequency, that sort of thing. Um, I mean, from the actual value side of things, uh, it does cost more to acquire new customers. So it makes more sense to create a customer experience where they want to come back and they want to spend more and that sort of thing, rather than just focusing on that top of funnel stuff. Um, yeah, that's what ideally I want to create a customer experience for brands that, um, keeps people coming back. Cause I was listening to a podcast. Um, I think it was last week from CX leaders. I think that's what it's called. Um, by rate it. Yes. And it was about how CX is more than just that, um, customer service level. So it's not just that one transaction, which is what I think customer service is. It's more transactional, um, and it was about how, you know, it's that repeat business. It's from the start point to the end point. And then it's like that circular kind of motion. You need to treat it like a relationship. Like yeah. rather than that whole growth marketer, not that there's anything wrong with that, but there can be that whole like icky, just focusing on those new customers and then like spamming your existing ones until they unsubscribe or continue to buy. And I think there's a middle ground, like there's room where you have to sell your products, but it doesn't mean you have to be sleazy about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even like, so for me, one of my biggest um, pet peeves in e-commerce is if I buy a product and it hasn't even shipped yet and you're already hitting me with more sales emails. Yeah. It's like really, I almost want to cancel my order right now. Yeah. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah. Like, and I didn't opt into your, like marketing lists. So why, why am I now getting like multiple emails per day? Yeah, yeah that does, that, that does happen a lot. Do you find um, that you're, cause I mean, my experience in the past, not so much with one tiny tribe, but uh, with other sort of e-com businesses has been that like there, there is this focus on the acquisition part of it and have, have, do you find it hard to like convince 
the person that you're working with, like your client and stuff to sort of focus on the retention side as well, because they're kind of going, Oh, you know, well, I, I run an e-com store here now. Like I need to make the sales and nurturing sort of takes, it's a more of a long-term game or do you generally work with people who kind of get that and sort of go with it? A bit of both. So I'm definitely trying to be more mindful about the content I put out there so that hopefully I'm getting inquiries and clients that already have some understanding of, um, you know, the importance of nurturing Yeah, that it's not just all acquisition, but it's still, it's definitely a battle because a lot of the, um, like the conversation happening out there is still focusing on that customer acquisition. I think there is, has been a bit of a shift. Um, like, you know, there has been, I think Paul Jarvis's company of one book coming out earlier in the year, um, which is all like, it's not about e-commerce. It's just about growing a company and not growing for the sake of growing. Like it's about mindful growth and he goes over those sorts of metrics about, you know, acquisition versus retention and that sort of thing. And that's kind of helped almost break the seal on this conversation. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's getting there, but it's still a battle sometimes. And it'll be like, oh, but why do, why do I need these emails that are going to like nurture and not straight up sell? Like they don't really have a tangible value, but it's like, oh my God, they do. (laughs) You could only see like six months down the track. They do. Yeah. And, and, and I guess that's what it is. Like you see, you see the rewards of that later on, but it's just, like I said, it's a, it's more of a long-term game. And when, especially when you're kind of in that space and you see those initial numbers coming in, it's, it's hard to separate yourself from that and be like, okay, and now I need to think about what the next, not for everyone, but you know, like what the next ten, six or 10 emails is going to look like to keep that person coming back. But I think it's also, so for me, right. I sell artwork for kids rooms. It's, it's also not really a quick repeat purchase, if you know what I mean. Yes. So for me, it's a much longer term game. Like also as store owners, we kind of need to be aware of that stuff. And if we're not, then it's kind of your job to make us aware of that, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Yeah. So I think there is like a big focus as well on like win back campaigns and all that sort of thing where it's like trying to get that second purchase. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd really like it in general if e-commerce businesses could like slow their roll on that. And just like you said, knowing your product and your audience and your business, sometimes they're not going to come back for that second purchase for a while. And that's okay. Like, yes, that's yeah. okay. You just have to build your business model around that. Yeah. Well, that's exactly it. And be comfortable with what those time frames look like. Yeah. And as long as you're, so with your prints, like the new releases that you create, like, as you mentioned, you mentioned on one of the earlier podcasts, how I think you like came up with like six, but you needed to call it down. And so you put it to a vote. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Cause it's like, well, these are the people who are going to potentially buy it, let them have a say. And then they're getting something they want, which means they're more likely to come back. Like it's rather than saying, here it is, like, (laughs) here's what you can buy. And that was a great exercise that I found too, because actually the one that I thought was going to be, this is so bad. The one that I thought was going to be the favorite was the least favorite. And that was <laughs> yeah. just really eye-opening for me. It's a bit of a like kill your darlings moment. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, look, I generally think that the, the future of customer experience and you heard it here first (laughs) is 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 gonna be all about customer collaboration I really do I I think that's kind of where it's going but that's yeah look we'll chat about that on another episode Frank has looked into us um crystal ball (laughs) (laughs) you want to trademark that (laughs) I have a question um just to rewind like slightly um when you say uh, nurture sequences rather than marketing messages or, you know, the win back campaigns. What, can you give an example of um, one of each? So like a marketing email I get would be like an EDM. Just yep. blasting, talking at your customer pretty much. Well, not if you do it properly. Mm-hmm. Um, right. yeah. <laughs> and then what's the difference between like a win back campaign and a nurture sequence? I use it 
across the board. So like, I think a welcome sequence after they opt in should nurture a lead. Um, even if it is a little bit, you know, it's going to have some marketing in there, obviously. Um, and then like your transactional emails. So after someone orders, you know, you've got the, um, order confirmation, the shipping notice, and the most likely a request for a review. Um, those sort of transactional emails, people are more likely to open them as well. And they're a great opportunity to nurture them to like, instead of like focusing on trying to get that second sale, just nurture this first sale, like just. And make them feel good about feeling like, Oh my God, I just spent $250 on baby swimmers or something. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. totally a logical expense like come on (laughs) um but exactly like buyer's remorse is such a real thing we all Mm -hmm. get that like sinking feeling after spending the money Mm. um and it's kind of like trying to delay that and offset that at least a little bit um which you know could potentially uh decrease returns and that sort of thing but also just get them looking forward or keep them looking forward to receiving their whatever they've ordered like i just yeah like positive association with the brand as well yeah yeah absolutely um whereas like a win back campaign traditionally is a lot more aggressive or it can be obviously it can be done well um, or a marketing campaign you know something that's just like basically screaming at you like here's our new product buy it now versus something that and this is where personality can come into play i think um with marketing stuff like frank body i remember they sent out an email couple of months ago and it was for this like fortune teller scrub that had like a little fortune teller card in it and all of this stuff (laughs) (laughs) and the the email was something like it said something along the lines of like we're just sending you this because our marketing team said we had to and blah blah but like it said it in a like really funny way where I was like okay I'm buying it just because it's yeah I bought it oh yeah Oh. oh it just I don't know it just got me at the right moment I think as well um but that was an example of where they could have just been like here's the scrub here's what's great about it bye now but they made it more relatable look I'm gonna be the first to put up my hand and say like you know I have not devoted enough time to creating like a personality around say one tiny tribe it it comes across a bit different in emails because the emails come from me. So I can be a lot more personal stuff, but like, and you're a writer. So yeah. Yeah. It's a bit like a little, but it's, but still in my professional opinion, (laughs) quite bland. And that's not, you know, that's not to say that I think people kind of think personality, you've got to be bold. And I, Mm. I don't think that's necessarily, that's not what you're saying, is it? Absolutely not. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So that's one of my big points around personality is that a lot of people will come and reference, like, they'll be like, I want to sound like go-to skincare. (laughs) And I love go-to. I think we all love. Oh, we all love go-to. Love the, yeah, of course. Zoe's like way of writing is just amazing. But if everybody sounds like that, it's no longer, you know, it doesn't stand out. It's no longer fun or different or interesting. And it's also really hard to like, fake that and keep that up consistently if you're like if it's a small business if you're this one person writing Mm -hmm. for it and that's not your natural way of writing it's gonna kill you like it's gonna imagine if they get like an email and it's all like haha hey babe like blah 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 let's do this fun thing and then they get you on the phone and you're like hi and it's like (laughs) what do you want something doesn't add up here (laughs) yeah exactly that's exactly it oh like it has to be consistent across all the touch points. You guys know this, um, like your social media, your customer service emails, your, if you're using like messenger, whatever you're using, even the packaging, like ideally that personality and voice is consistent across the board. Didn't you once get someone say, um, like a potential client, can, can you just make me sound like you? Like your voice? I've had that a few times now. Um, oh, and I, yeah, so I've learned to push back on it because it's like, well, and I, yeah, I've, it's like, I can write like me. Of course I can write like me. I can write this like me for you. But the second you get on that video call with a potential client, 
it's going to fall through. Like it's, there's going to be a mismatch in the messaging. So like, cool, but I don't recommend it for you because there's like, I would rather capture someone's personality or a brand's personality and we work with that. Um, and so like Franca for one tiny tribe, I'm sure that there has been a personality that's, even if you're not aware of it has kind of come out through the years. Like I've gotten emails before that are like, I love that you write to me as if you're my friend and that kind of thing. That's but nice. yeah. And, you know, and again, like you say, like it, it's a little bit different because that, that the comms part is my background. So far out. If I, if I wasn't getting emails like that, I'd be concerned. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But I still don't, yeah, I don't know if it necessarily has a strong personality. Well, I guess, okay, so what I'm thinking is do you have some kind of a process when you do work with a client who might come to you? So say if I was to come to you, I'm using yeah. this as a free session. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and if I was to go, look, I don't really know if I have really a personality. Is there yeah. a process that you use to like draw that out? Yes, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Otherwise it would, yeah, drive me crazy. Um, <laughs> so I rely on archetypes for brand personalities. Um, sometimes it's hard to find a fit, but most of the time by like, I get clients to fill out a questionnaire when we start working together and we have a chat usually over Zoom. Um, it usually, to me, it becomes quite obvious what their primary archetype is like Uh how they're showing up naturally especially if they are like it's those one person brands where it's really easy to do that for because it's like well this person is literally all touch points of the brand like they're doing everything anyway um and then so brands where there's more than one person it's kind of like you can kind of use i tend to um develop the personality dependent on the audience and the product so it's like, right, well, okay. what's going to speak to their audience and what best like, um, like captures the product. Yes. And I guess you've been doing it for quite a while now that you just naturally be able to pick up on that stuff and sort of guide people. But tell us about these magical archetypes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's like 12 archetypes and they basically speak to the like subconscious mind like they're supposedly supposedly throughout um like stories throughout history and yeah it's kind of just like a mental shortcut so like using the archetype helps people connect with it on a subconscious level um yeah yeah and it also just apart from that it's a solid framework like to have it's basically like a character where it's like, these are the strengths, these are the weaknesses, yeah. personality traits, that sort of thing. Because I use, I use them too. Um, and I think we both do this as well, like with the secondary archetypes as well, if, if yeah. one's not quite enough, just to give it a bit more like depth, I guess. Yeah, blending the two, it's so yeah. good. And then make up fun names for them and like, well, not, not like person names, but like the magic sage or something like that. I agree. I find it really, it's one of my favorite parts as well for um, like building out personalities or even just like for my own knowledge, like you always refer back to it um, if you're writing for someone else. Yeah. And do you find like, I find for the clients, it makes it more tangible for them as well. Yeah. They love it. Like (laughs) they, I think people inherently love seeing themselves reflected back at them. Oh Um, yeah in a positive light. It sounds a bit like horoscopes though. It's like, yes, I'm a Pisces. You nailed that. (laughs) Which I usually am. Like, usually I'm like, yep, yep. Tick, tick, tick. (laughs) I'm so deep into like, as much as I'm like sort of like half um, skeptical about horoscopes, I'm so deep into them as well. Oh, I am too. I'm like, there's this whole science side to me, but then like also talk to me about horoscopes. Yeah, yeah. And then like horoscope memes is a whole other. Oh, like, oh, how so good weird. is that site? What is it? Um, Not all Geminis? Yeah. Or yeah, yeah. yeah. there's a few. <laughs> I love it. Oh, it's there's so a site. Fun. Have I been missing out? Yeah, I'll tag you in it. it is <laughs> yeah, it's like horoscope memes and therapy memes just make up my day now. <laughs> Gold. And client work, but mainly memes. <clears throat> Myers Briggs type. I'm always like, yeah. oh my God, that is so me. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's like, 
Are you guys into like the Enneagram type? Enneagram types? I don't know if I'm saying that right. Is it Enneagram? Any Enneagram? Oh, I don't know. I just I don't know. <laughs> I know the word. I don't know what it is. I haven't oh, okay. done it yet, but I need to because everybody talks about it and is really obsessed with it. And I'm like, I feel like I will be obsessed once I do it. <laughs> yeah, I've kind of put off doing it, and I think that's why. Maybe I don't know. All right. <laughs> Pat, we all do it. We all do the Enneagram <laughs> test and then we recap on an episode. <laughs> we'll meet back. How good have we, we've covered like everything. We're really nailing this conversation. No tangent. <laughs> and then we, <laughs> we had to go in there somewhere. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Episode <laughs> of a, you. No, no episode of a table at the back without. While we're on a tangent. <laughs> go for it. got me started. I downloaded this app today called CoStar and it's like horoscopes. You put in your actual like time of birth and place of birth and all that. And it's meant to be like super like, um, like it's, what do you call it? Customized to you. And like, as soon as I put it in, it's got all these things. And it, it like one of mine that came up was like changes causing moodiness. And it's like through and it tells you how long this runs for. And it's like through until August 3rd, 2022 and I was like I'm gonna be goddamn moody for like three years thanks guys your husband's like oh I told him yeah well apparently it's been two years already and I was like that that tracks before I forget we had a couple of questions from listeners have you always had such a distinct voice or did it develop over time that is a great question um I would say it probably has developed a little bit over time, but it was pretty much there to begin with or at least a form of it. Yeah. I would say that's correct. I mean, yeah, (laughs) I've known Amy for about three ish years now. Yeah. Um, And I think you've narrowed it down. Yeah. Um, But you've always had a personality. If you know what I mean? Yeah. I think, that was like highly influenced by like, I remember reading um, Ash Amberger from the middle finger project before I even knew what a copywriter was. Like I just loved her blog so much and she has a very out there voice. Like it's very boldy. Um, And like, I remember that resonating with me so much. And then like, I think also Zoe Foster Blake, um, so for me, like when I first came up with damn right, a lot of it was like, wh- how do I want it to come across and how do I want people to feel when interacting with it? Um, and what do I like when like in a brand, like, what do I want to feel? And what do I enjoy interacting with like content wise? And I was just like, I just want to like entertain people and have a little bit of brutal honesty in there. So yeah, that's kind of where it came from. I definitely think you've nailed that. absolutely and have you ever just out of interest like have you ever had any um negative feedback about it or (laughs) not not Um, yet nothing that stuck to me obviously well one of these um emails that we're planning as part of launch for gig super like (laughs) there's this one sentence about like you know if if you're an employee then gig soup is most likely not for you because it's the truth. Like we've designed this thing for sole traders and the way that it's built and designed, it, it just doesn't really work for like, if you're an employee, you can totally still use it, but it's just not built that way. And, um, and it's so funny because our compliance guy, like never comments on anything other than like the compliance side of things. And he's like, are you sure you want to like not include people like it it was so powerful like it it was nagging him so much that it was the first time he's ever commented on something that wasn't <laughs> compliance did you shut him down no no I didn't I, I I just was like that's cool like you you know you your strength is compliance not marketing yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know but I just found it but I did find it really really interesting that that it was so compelling to him that like how could you possibly not want everybody to be your client. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it generally tends to 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 be a thing where people kind of are afraid to say, you know what, that part of the audience, I just don't cater to them and that's okay. Yeah. And um, there's two parts that. It's like, well, you're not going to be for everyone. You like nobody is going to like 
cater to everyone in the world. And that's going to like totally dilute and water down your messaging as well. If you were to try and like, especially like gig super. So if you were trying to like message it to literally everyone, your messaging would be so vague. Mm, And go to no one. Exactly. And then the other side of it is like, I actually like to think of it as a way to actively repel people that you don't want to work with. Like that's my favorite thing. As much as it's all about attracting the right people and attracting the right customers, like repelling the ones who aren't the right fit is just as awesome because it's like, you're going to save yourself a ton of hassle, a ton of customer service complaints, returns, like all of that stuff. Like if you can do that, why wouldn't you want to? No, and it actually works the other way. I mean, I found with One Tiny Tribe, I originally I had um, print like artwork, prints, posters, artwork for both boys and girls. Well, it was aimed at both boys and girls' rooms. Mm. And um, and then at one point I was like, no, 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 I'm focused just on on boys' rooms. And when I when I made that shift and sort of niched that way, my sales actually increased. And funnily enough, I got, I could probably think of three off the top of my head, but I'm sure more have come through, whether it was emails or comments around like, well, don't you think if you, you know, marketed this to both, like for both boys and girls, you'd get more sales. And I'm like, yes, I have thought of that. I mean, that's not my reply. My reply is usually, you know, quite polite, but Yeah. yeah, like on this end, I, I, I wouldn't be doing it if it was bad for me, like if it was bad for business. <laughs> so yeah, it's just, that's interesting. Like yeah. it's not surprising that your sales would increase though. It was just easy. It was easier for product development. It was easier for message. Like it just made everything smoother, which I guess in turn then translates to sales. I'm a boy mom. Like I don't want to go and have to sift through all of the traditionally girly prints. And it's not like you're saying if you have a girl, you can't like shop here. No, no. And I've never said that, but I have had feedback around like, you know, cause we've got like an educational um, collection, like we've got um, like the alphabet, learn the alphabet and learn numbers and stuff. And I have had one or two people comment and be like, well, why is this only for boys? And I'm like, it's, it's not only for boys. <laughs> My brand as a whole is focused for mums who have boys' rooms and who are interested in decorating boys' rooms with something other than trucks and dinosaurs. You know, <laughs> I mean, and there's nothing wrong with trucks and dinosaurs. <laughs> Absolutely not. Like, you know, but it, it's just like that's what the brand is. But then, you know, you, you always get the odd person who can become offended by something you never thought that somebody could become offended by. But I guess then it just comes down to ma- managing that um, that experience too for that person, even though they're never going to be your customer, but just managing that experience nicely too. I, I mean, I guess maybe that's the conversation around being comfortable with what your brand is, what it stands for and what you want it to be and stand for, I guess. Absolutely. And that's where Amy comes in. So hire <laughs> <Amy>. <laughs> So if you do want to repel people, <laughs> I know how to do that. <laughs> and attract them. <laughs> yeah, also attract them. Yeah, definitely. So this next question was, I do know who this one's from. This is from Kirsty. Um, oh. She asks, what's some of the key differences between writing copy for products versus service-based businesses? Because as we know, you've done both. Yes. That's such a like clever Kirsty question. I know. I expect <laughs> nothing less. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, products, I think the big difference is that it is a tangible thing rather than a service. Sometimes the difficulty, it's both a pro and a con that like with a service, it is like it's something that's much more, it can be much more like intangible and the benefits of it can be harder to pin down. I think with a product, people kind of understand that they're there to buy something. They know that you're selling something. They know that they're going to get something physical. Like they, it's easier to communicate the value there. Um, yeah. So I think there's probably room to be a little bit more salesy, not in a sleazy way, obviously, but 
it's, it's a known thing that you are selling a product, you're a business trying to make money. Whereas I, I've found with services, sometimes the perception can be that like, oh, you, you want to charge for that, but can't you just do it for free? Like yes. as a, your heart, because it's just your time and like your time doesn't actually, you know, you know what I mean? Like there's actual cost of goods with a product and there's just this understanding that it's going to cost money to buy it. So if there's one or two takeaways for e-commerce businesses that you want to send out into the airwaves <laughs> to people's <laughs> ears, um, I mean, we've discussed like how having a consistent tone of voice across the customer journey um, is beneficial, obviously, and everyone should take stock and make sure that they are um, doing that. But do you have any other pointers? Um. Oh, so apart from consistency, I think like the focus on, I know we've like, it's almost like I just keep going on this point, but nurturing overselling, like it just, even like the products that you choose to create and sell, keeping your customer in mind, like that customer relationship, doing what's best for them is always going to pay off both like in terms of loyalty and just sales in general. Um, yeah, just no more bro marketing people. Like, can we just chill out? So now we get to like the fun pop culture section of the podcast. Um, yeah, where we talk about like things that we've like read or watched or listened to this past week. And my favorite is always listening to Laura speak about this because I'm <laughs> always keen to hear who my celeb crush is, who your celeb, do you have a celeb crush this week? No, I don't. Oh, boo. <laughs> Shall I keep going? Yeah. What, like, what have you been? So I finished City of Girls. Um, remember last time we were talking about it and you're like, stay tuned. We'll find out <laughs> how she liked it. Oh, um, the I, one about the... Um, 1940s. 1940s, yes. Friggin' loved it. Did you? Okay. Yeah. So um, I'm not a big fan. So it was by Elizabeth Gilbert. Um, not a big fan of Eat, Pray, Love, and I wasn't even that big a fan of Big Magic, um, but I like her novels, so a signature of all things I really liked, and then this one is just top-notch, like, sorry for sounding like a bogan, but um, <laughs> it had, like, undertones of feminism and um, just, yeah, just strong women characters, yeah, awesome, highly recommend. And it was easy, easy to read. Um, oh, that's good. A book about the 1940s that was easy to read. All right, yeah, I'm so listening. It, <laughs> it didn't touch on the war too much. I mean, she was kind of removed from it. She worked um, helping, obviously, as most young people did um, when it was happening. But it was more just her experiences, her life. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and on the work front, I read an article just today actually about how UX does influence sales. So I thought it was kind of timely. We were talking about e-commerce, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, and it, it was good. We'll link it in the show notes because um, after all UX is business goals, meeting user goals and yeah. business goals is generally money um, and revenue and that kind of thing. So yeah, I thought it was good. A different way of looking at UX because a lot of people think that it's not, and I don't count myself as a sales copywriter um, by any means, but it, it does influence it for sure. What about you, Amy? Um, I've actually been listening to, on Audible, I got Friction by Roger Dooley, who was the <sighs> brain fluence guy. Yeah, he's yeah. amazing. I love Roger Dooley. A side tangent. Sorry, I thought we were done with tangents, but we're not. <laughs> I really get over podcasters, like because he has a podcast, who yes. don't record their own audiobooks. Like I want your voice on it I'm used to your voice the guy who reads it's okay so it's not too bad but I'm just like I just you need to be the one reading it anyway that's the law oh. according to me and um, he has a nice he's got a nice voice because I listen to the podcast on, on the regular and yeah. he's got a great voice for radio or for audio he does it's like super deep and calming I really like it so it's I was kind of looking forward to that but the book's actually and it um, would back up a lot of that article, Laura, where it was like talking about, so basically like friction is the enemy of conversion. And um, so it's like how Amazon has gotten so successful is because they've 
focused on reducing friction. One click and, buy and all that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, it's the same sort of thing. Whereas that's going to impact your sales more than anything else. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, reduce friction, increase sales. Well, I'll have to get it. I have an audible credit just burning a hole in my <laughs> Yeah. And apart from that, just finished watching season two of Fleabag, which is brilliant. Oh, I've been trying to find out how to, I think I was even messaging you today about it. I need yeah. to know how to watch it. Yeah. Fleabag season one, because I've just heard everyone going on about it. And I really love Phoebe. Waller. Have you got ABC iView? Like, how do you get it? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> so we use it on like Apple TV, but there's an app. Like, I'm pretty sure there's an iPhone, iPad app. Oh, okay. Or you can even just watch it on, like, a laptop as well. Well, I tried and it just kept closing, so I think I may have to get the app. I've just been consuming work stuff, really, this week. But I came across this article, which I thought was relevant to this conversation because it was um, it was this company that's, like, growth hacked e-commerce and they're, they're called Alphalete and they're competing, like you know, in the category with like Lululemon and all of the, you know, I'm, I'm generally, that's not my clothing Actually, category. Yeah. I do not wear active wear. So <laughs> oh, you're missing out. Yeah. That's why you call it athleisure wear. Oh, I see. <laughs> I have been missing out. Um, but I did find this article really interesting for a few different reasons so like i'll link to it in the show notes but basically the way that they built it like this this guy built it and he sort of started sharing like a video blog of like documenting his journey like how he started building this thing and it kind of got traction and then it pretty much everything we've sort of talked about in the episode like looking at all of those touch points and then making sure that like tone of voice and everything is consistent across the board. And um, like even their packaging sort of reflects the brand, which I know not everybody can afford like as a small e-com owner, like I can't afford that kind of packaging, but you know, if you're there, that's definitely like sort of the next thing to think about in terms of like customer experience and stuff. Um, But what I really like about them is that they, they do like launch launch-based e-commerce and FOMO marketing. So every single, they sort of release batches of clothing and they never release something that is the same. So even if they've got like, um, you know, collections that were popular, the next time there will always be some kind of an adjustment to it. So they really, really ride that scarcity um, component which I thought was really interesting because I don't think I've seen another e-commerce brand do that. Oh, that's clever. I think there's a few like small businesses in the Australian market that like I can think of that do product runs where it's like this print and then it's gone. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, But it always seemed like that was maybe more because of the size of the business, but it's actually a really clever tactic. Yeah. Which is why I thought it was just so, so interesting. And then obviously they've done the whole influencer thing to really like help spread the word and, and, you know, help them grow. And they've got like two sets of influencers. So they've got like their alpha elite athletes who get all sorts of perks and stuff and they are exclusive to Alphalete and then they've got these other influencers who are like not exclusive to them and they're just called like the Alphalete family. So they were just more affiliates that get commissions. But I think I thought that was really good because, you know, having worked with like brand reps before and stuff, it's, it's, it's really hard to, like, it's hard to say to someone, you know, you've got to be exclusive to me. So you've got to offer them, obviously, like you've got to offer them extra things, but I just, yeah, I, I think they do that really well. And then the, the final thing that I think is really, really great about their experience is that they focus a lot on in-person experiences And again, I think, you know, the same as customer collaboration, I think a big part of customer experience is going to be old school in-person stuff. Like I think that old school connection, we've gone from, you know, trying to do everything manually to automating the shit out of everything. And now I think that, you know, creating those authentic, real um 
relationships and connections, I think that's, I think that's going to be really big in sort of the next few years of customer experience, but could be wrong. I but- know. I think you're on the money there. Yeah. I think that's- people are craving it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know I am. I mm-hmm. like, you, you know, even pe- people have learned what automation is. They didn't, you know, bef- like you couldn't kind of, you couldn't pick it. You couldn't pick it before, but like now it's kind of becoming second nature. And I think, you know, given another two to five years, like people will be so immune to it and so open to that, you know, real person to person connection. But yeah, I, anyway, that's why I thought this, we'll link to it in the show notes, but I thought it was a really, really good article, really good article about how yeah. they've built the e-commerce brand. It kind of like, it fits with, because I think there's like, I think Amazon and one of the other big retailers are opening like concept stores. So instead of like a retail space where you can go and buy things, I don't quite get the point of it yet, but it's like, yeah, it's a concept concept store. So it would be an in-person experience. I'm guessing you could order stuff maybe. Um, yeah. Um, that's super, no, that's super interesting. Cause, um, one of my clients, last year I think I was doing some work with um like a it's a video conferencing um software uh, like API kind of thing and they were putting that on um like robots I guess you would call what are they like iPads on a robot and you could go oh yeah in a store so it was kind of like you were in there but you got to like look at what you were going to buy it was so fascinating so Maybe they're merging the two. Yeah. You did an online experience, but it's like you're there. Like, <laughs> well, no one will ever have to leave their home again. Oh, good for athleisure wear. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're done, guys. Awesome. Thank you, Amy, for being Thanks, part of guys. our table. <laughs> much for listening to this episode and thanks so much for being here um we'll be back in a few weeks don't miss us too much we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us some ratings and reviews and subscribe while you're there too okay bye